2: Hey everyone, welcome to the 111th edition of DF Direct Weekly. This is, as usual, our weekly show about the latest gaming and technology news, which is fortunate because we've got so much of it to talk about this week. And I'm happy to report that looking over the news topics here on the docket, we shall not be discussing the crisis state of PC gaming. Uh, Although, when we get to the supporter questions, who knows what's going to happen there. Uh, Right, Alex Battaglia?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, this has been a cleansing week where I have not been looking at reviews. I've not been looking at the disastrous releases. I'm just looking at something fun <laughs> and interesting. Isn't that great? Having joy in your life?
2: <laughs> uh, absolutely. And uh, yeah, certainly lots of interest this week. Right, John Linnemann?
1: Yes, indeed. And we're going to talk about a Sea special, which I'm sure he is not <laughs> enjoying right now, given that it, you know, it's for that Nintendo system. But we're going to talk about it.
2: (laughs) Absolutely. Okay, let's move on to the first news topic. And yes, it's a big week for Nintendo this week as uh, The Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom is finally released. And, wow, uh, John, you took point on the coverage for this one. Um, I've got a big question in my head, but first of all, before I pose that, uh, what do you make of the reaction to the game and how it sits with your review?
1: So, largely the reaction has been very positive. There has been people that aren't necessarily into it, as with any game, but, uh, you know, the general response online is one of excitement, and part of that excitement, I think, stems from the fact that Nintendo released this game in an exceptionally solid state, and that's not something we're seeing a lot these these days, right? Big AAA games are hitting regularly, and they are very difficult to create, no doubt, but These products are being sold at full price, and they're shipping with major bugs, major issues, you know, crashing, poor performance. Uh, It's been absolutely occupying our channel over the last few months, especially on the PC. It's not good. And then this comes along, and it's absolutely just gigantic in terms of scope, the complexity of all the integrated systems and the way everything interacts. It's the kind of stuff we don't really see that often anymore. Like most open world games, you look at like Horizon Forbidden West, you look at uh, any Assassin's Creed game, you look at like The Witcher. uh, They're beautiful worlds, Uh, more technically impressive from a visual standpoint than anything that you see on the Switch, but they're very static worlds, right? And what Zelda really pushes is that interactivity, the physics-driven gameplay. It's the kind of stuff that developers promised back in the in the late aughts, uh, you know, Crisis, Far Cry Two, that kind of stuff. That really impresses me, especially that they're able to do that on this rather underpowered system. Uh, and it does it does a good job by and large. So, yeah, I mean that's that alone is very impressive on top of the game itself being pretty darn good especially since i actually bounced off of breath of the wild initially i felt it was a little bit overly aimless at points there wasn't enough in terms of narrative beats uh the guardians weren't that interesting small constrained they didn't satisfy that itch for proper zelda dungeons uh, Tears of the Kingdom doesn't necessarily go all the way there but there's so much more to the level design this this time. Uh the even the paths leading up to those sections are fascinating. There's the whole underground world, the above ground world. It's basically like a hamburger of Zelda goodness. Hyrule is this is this juicy uh not well done but but I would say me- medium, medium, medium rare <laughs> kind of burger in the middle and then you have the bun with the sesame seeds on top which is the the sky islands and then of course you have the slightly singed uh bottom bun but still crunchy and delicious so it, it's it's a wholesome meal is what i'm trying to say i love right.
2: this okay well in with that being the case was the uh, day one patch like the fries or the relish because let's <laughs> yes. be honest here there were a lot of concerns about performance of the game based on the preview uh footage that went out and uh, you showed some of that in your video. It was pretty shocking. And you're yep. saying that the game actually looked pretty uh, unstable when you got it. So it was kind of like a sort of last minute parachuted in performance upgrade, which I suspect might be linked to that Curious DRS system.
1: Yeah, so this is a tricky one because I received access to the game while I was still visiting the US, and I didn't get a chance to spend much time with this pre-patch version on the TV yet. I did a little bit when I got back, but then the patch hit, and the thing that really caught my attention there was right away, like right at the beginning of the game, you run out to the skylines, you're turning the camera around, and it's just dropping to 20 frames per second everywhere, right? Even when nothing's happening, it was just dips all over the place, and I immediately got that sinking feeling that, oh man, this is, this might actually be too much for the Switch to handle, too big for the Switch. Mm-hmm. Uh, it felt that way, but right? I was waiting for that. And it was consistent mm-hmm. with the preview footage, which was equally poor, Right. Uh, but then magically this patch arrives and I've learned not to put a lot of stock in these performance patches because usually when you do that you walk away disappointed especially when they oh, explicitly almost. say we've improved performance and then you load it up and it's like oh it's actually slower <laughs> You're <Yeah>. Jedi survivor <laughs> it's,
2: it's like the boy who cried wolf every it's, time a new like, patch comes along there are performance upgrades and there aren't and sometimes there are even performance regressions. Right. that happened with and The Witcher when 3 one, when one comes along you don't believe it <laughs>
1: Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and that's the case here, because, you know, it. I don't believe there were any patch notes specifically. Nintendo doesn't do that. They don't want to pe- people to peek behind the curtain, right? Uh, but they, they did it. it. It fixed so many issues. It's not perfect. It still slows down when there's, you know, lots of physics interactions with the quote unquote ultra hand feature, as they call it, which sounds uh, a little spicy it sounds silly i, I, I like that <laughs> but um just exploring the world is now perfectly stable and that's a huge improvement over that pre-release build and in fact that's something that's prompted us to track down a physical copy of the game so we can play it on a switch without the patch and hopefully then benchmark that right uh, that would be great because I want to I want to try to actually put some numbers to this and see just how much of an improvement we're really talking about here,
0: and also then double check if the DRS system is maybe the main thing that's making this work
1: better. Right. At launch, so right? DRS was always in the game, I would imagine, and it was in Breath of the Wild, uh, but the way it works here was interesting in that, like I said in the video, in many cases you'll see it. When the camera is in motion, the resolution is at a lower point, usually around 720p. Sometimes it's like slightly above 720p. The pixel counts are kind of weird in this game, as you saw, Alex. Yeah. But uh, then as soon as the camera stops moving, it jumps right back up to basically (laughs) 90p. Uh, <sighs> and then on top of that, you seem to have FSR 1.0, which is the spatial upscaler. So you're not actually getting ex- like real extra pixel data, right? But it yeah, does just... have the contrast adaptive sharpening. I've already seen people commenting like, wow, this looks too sharp on my screen. And it's kind of noisy. And yeah, that's that's, that's FSR, 1 FSR 1 with the contrast adaptive sharpening. That's just what you get. Mm. Uh, so... But yeah, I mean, what what else do you guys, what do you guys think of this based on what you've seen thus far? I know that you've not played it, but you've seen the coverage. Mm -hmm. Any questions, thoughts? I'm curious.
2: I have many questions, John. I mean, um, I'm really interested, actually. It was a a point put forward by Leftist Hominid, one of our supporters, who actually wanted us to test the game on the old Switch and the one with the new uh, processor. The new processor also comes with uh, lower latency RAM. So there might be a mm. CPU advantage there worth looking, uh, taking a look at. Also, it looks like the frame flops that remain do seem to be physics related, which is related to the CPU. So there could be some, uh, interesting things to be doing with overclocking there because there's a ton of overclocking headroom on the CPU side of things on the switch. So maybe we'll take a look at that as long as, uh, uh, you know, the force ghost of, yeah. <laughs> of of, of uh, Miyamoto isn't going to stop us. <laughs> uh, or, or ban the video. <laughs> they, or whatever. They may try, uh, whatever. <laughs> but <laughs> um, but I've got to ask the question. Maybe it's a question to put to you, Alex. Sure. Um, because, <clears throat> well, I'm going to go back to the whole too big for Switch uh, fiasco forward slash debacle. <laughs> uh, where we were looking at that footage, it looks too uh, clear. We were talking at the time the volume looked better than what you'd imagine the Switch could do. Where do you stand now having seen uh, at least footage of the game versus that presentation?
0: (laughs) Well, um, I think the most enlightening part, even beyond looking at that trailer, was actually John uh, putting it right next to the original game. Which uh, don't take me wrong here. I'm not trying to be mean, but <laughs> it's interesting to see how little technical evolution there is um, from essentially what is a Wii U title. Uh, so, like usually, like if we look at, I don't know, Call of Duty Ghosts versus Call of Duty Infinite Warfare, something like that, where we saw a really big uh, technical underpinnings and visual change in a in a in a series of games over time. Uh, here we're seeing mostly the same visuals and a very similar performance level which is kind of interesting. Uh so it might it might actually just imply that the the switch was already kind of tapped out in a really smart way for the original game and here it's tapped out uh as well to in some sim- very very similar way. So I thought that was interesting and it does tie into what uh, We said about the original, like, there's that original Breath of the Wild trailer, which also has, like, a way denser overworld and, like, grass density that's, like, way higher than the, you know, the launch game. And then there's this one, too, where the first trailer, in terms of image quality maybe, as well as in terms of other aspects, does honestly look a bit better, uh, like John said oh, in his yeah. video. And, I, you know, it, it, I, we should definitely call it out just like John did call it out because, you know, we always want to see games being presented as close to the final product as possible uh within reasonable ways uh but that's the way it is i i'm just actually really happy about this game um bucking triple a trends like john was saying like in the mid-2000s systems driven gameplay was a big deal you've got your red faction Gorilla, you've got oh, your yeah. crisis you've got your far cry 2 and then that disappears disappears mainly from the triple a space and then wanders over to the indie double a space where survival games and you know sims and construction games exist and but but everyone's just making these you know really static and or linear adventures and then this is doing something different which i'm really happy about um it may not be a game for me but i really uh think it's ambition
1: i actually think uh, you might enjoy this alex and you know there are well You know, you you should try it the way Alex likes to play. I'll give it a try. If you know what I mean.
0: I I will do it the way, I will play it the way Alex uh, likes to play games. (laughs) I will say
1: though, the the trailer thing that you mentioned, um, that was also something we observed with Bayonetta 3 that I mentioned in that video, right? right? If you recall, the trailer for Bayonetta 3 exhibited higher image quality and a perfectly stable 60 frames per second. Uh, that was not achieved by the final game by any stretch of the imagination. <laughs> and that so that makes two titles, at least where it feels like the marketing materials were slightly misleading, which is kind of a bummer. And I'm surprised yeah. that they've gotten away with that now, especially in this age where, you know, Sony's become exceptionally clear with every piece of footage they show. Right. Labeling it. Uh, and even Phil Spencer on that interview we discussed last week from the kind of funny Xcast, or whatever it's called, uh, they—he specifically mentioned how they also want to do a better job in terms of labeling pre-release gameplay for what it is, right? And somehow Nintendo is kind of stepping away from that a little bit. It feels, with those—at least with those two games—and yeah, I'm not cool with that
2: absolutely not i'm curious about how wanting to do better becomes part of the equation just do better just put the labels on yeah the, <laughs> true true just what's, do the, it. what's the problem um, i've actually got a supporter question for you here john a uh, good morning digital foundry this question is for john uh this one's from dvs lib by the way john i enjoyed your review of tears of the kingdom towards the beginning of your video you noted how it's a direct sequel to breath of the wild in a similar manner to how majora's mask was a direct sequel to Ocarina of Time. But I think it's worth pointing out Majora's Mask came out approximately one year after Ocarina mm-hmm. of Time. The development mm-hmm. for Tears of the Kingdom has taken approximately as long as the game it was built on slash around. Without spoiling yeah. for us things for us, what have you seen, John? <laughs> I like this. John in Tears of the Kingdom that has made you go, ah, I see why this took six years to develop. Maybe it's the sheer number of classic classic dungeons. Maybe it's just the fact it runs on Switch at all. Keep up the great work, Digital Boundary. Thank you. I think uh, it's not quite sort of uh, appreciating that modern games are orders of magnitude more complex than the older ones, right?
1: Precisely, yeah. I mean, modern game development simply does take that much more time. And in a game like this, even if you're just expanding upon elements you've done before, uh, there is a lot of new stuff in this, but the amount, like, imagine the amount of testing and design and and iteration required to create a game like this, right? Like, it's an orders of magnitude more complex than anything from that era of game, and uh, making that is difficult. So, in terms of actual landmass and the types of content you experience, so yes, it does include the world of Hyrule, which has seen many changes, but the Sky Islands themselves are all super well designed very interesting and intricate Uh, but there's also that underground section which maps out to the entirety of Hyrule as well so they've essentially created two additional full maps to go along with Hyrule that you all can seamlessly move between uh, which is pretty darn ambitious I would say and that probably factors into a lot of it on top of just all the new abilities and design elements and some of those abilities i didn't talk too much about in the video but like one of them that you get right away at the start of the game it allows you to essentially look at the ceiling and like leap through the the ground and he actually does this like nice animation of like phasing through the scenery And that allows you to, like, move vertically in ways that is just wild. And it feels like it would be so easy to break the game doing stuff like this. It almost feels like you're playing with a cheat code somehow. It's like the no-clip power-up, but it has a nice animation associated with it. And I'm actually kind of surprised (laughs) and impressed that they made that one of the core functions to the game. Uh, It feels like a game that dares the player to break it. And I'm sure some people will find a way to do so, but, boy, it's... uh, Just that type of design is ambitious and difficult to make. So I can see why it took this long to create as a result.
2: Absolutely. Another thing that came up in your video was essentially that you kind of wish it was running on better hardware. And you pointed to the original failure as an example of how the graphical feature set could be expanded, right?
1: Yeah. That,
2: yeah. uh, Yeah. yeah, (laughs) Thoughts on that? I mean, we'll talk a bit about Switch 2 in a moment. but. yeah. yeah,
1: it's so, okay, so that original 2019 trailer, which revealed the existence of a sequel to Breath of the Wild, so this would have only been like two years after Breath of the Wild had shipped, uh, and that trailer showed a cutscene that's similar to one that plays out during the intro of the game. There's a lot of different camera shots, and, and things happen in a different way in that trailer, but... Uh, there was there was definitely some evolution. for instance, all the dynamic lights in the scene cast shadows in that trailer that does not happen in the final game. I wanted to yeah. show that in my video, but we weren't allowed to show cutscenes in the video so I did not but that's one of the changes. There was just a lot more going on with the lighting. The cell shading was a little bit more fine grain with extra like depth to it. Uh, and all like the particle lighting and the things that they were doing with that was really impressive. And the final game, not only does it not match that, but that same scene is just rendered out as a low bitrate video in the final game. Totally bizarre. Which I was initially concerned. Thankfully, videos are actually very rare in the game, it turns out. It's just a few key sequences, and as I suggested in the video, I'd imagine it has to do with the rapid movement between different parts of the world, right? Like, well, they'll cut from, like, Mm -hmm. inside this cavern to, like, some other village, then to showing a castle. And, you know, that stuff... Developers usually rely on video because jumping around the world that rapidly just isn't possible in a cutscene without huge pauses between each cut. But still, they could have used higher-quality video. Like, come on, that's it looks bad (laughs) next to the (sighs) real-time graphics. So... But still... One thing I actually want to discuss around this, and it's a sentiment I often see when Switch games are covered, and that you often see, like, say, oh, so you're telling me this game runs at 30 frames per second and drops to 720p, and yet it's getting these high scores, but then you have like this uh, next gen game running at 30 frames per second, like Redfall, and that gets fives, and people are like, what's going on there? And there's actually a lot of nuance to that topic that I think is interesting. First, I mean, obviously people are judging the games themselves on a different different level, right? It's not just about the graphics in that case, and they shouldn't misattribute scores to that. But I do think there is a genuine misunderstanding or inability to consider the differences in hardware platforms and what makes something impressive on one hardware versus another, right? This is one of the things that I love about doing the DF Retro stuff. It's like... You'll, you'll encounter a game on like a Sega Saturn or like a GameCube and they're doing stuff where that seems impossible for that machine and it's absolutely mind-blowing to me. But if you were to display that it was those exact same graphics on like an Xbox Series X or a PS5... Like, it would be nothing. Like, it would it would look terrible. It would be, it would be a nothing. joke. Like, yeah. like, why would you look at that? Like, it's nothing, right? Because that's lacking the complete context of what makes that impressive to begin with. And the hardware platform needs to be considered when judging the technical merits of a game. You can't look at something on the Switch and apply the same logic as, like, a Series X or a PS5 because the hardware is so vastly different, Right? like Mm -hmm. you the capabilities of the hardware must be considered and so yes the switch is judged differently than those machines because it's judged based on what its capabilities are what what tears of the kingdom achieves on switch hardware specifically is extremely impressive the game would still be very impressive on those other platforms but if it were running at this frame rate at that resolution I think on those platforms that would be a serious issue because that's not even coming close to taking advantage of what those hardware can do. (laughs) Like that's not what you expect from them. Like when you when you're playing on on hardware of that level, right? It's the same reason why expectations for high end PC stuff tend to be a little different. Yeah, you expect more out of a forty ninety than an Xbox One S, right? And yeah,
0: it's, it's why when I get a, a PC game review and I say, these textures look way worse than you should get on an 8 gigabyte GPU, that's why I say that. You know, I understand from doing this work what utilization of hardware should yield. Exactly. So,
1: And yeah. I also really, like, there's, there's this hyperbole that it's, it's very common in social media. It's been common on forums where somebody will look at a game and be like that looks like a PS two game or that looks like a game boy game. And they're referring to like, like something like tears of the kingdom. I've seen people actually say this looks like a game boy game. And you're just like, Uh I mean, it just shows a complete ignorance on the topic and understanding the difference in hardware and the way that there's hardware, the different hardware functions. And it's insulting to the game boy and the switch at the same time. And it just, it, it paints them in a bad light. Uh, it's it's really just bizarre, and I, I don't understand why people put these arguments forward. If they really believe that, or if they even remember what those things look like. Uh, and I saw another comment that was like, like, somebody was like, well, it's more than just about the graphics, which is true. And then their comment was like, yeah, it's like people still play on a Nintendo 3DS. Like sort of implying that if you're playing on older hardware somehow that is a bad thing, which is hugely disrespectful to the medium of gaming as a whole and classic games. So I only bring that up because I I just, I see this happen every time a Switch game gets covered. And I really wonder what's going around in their head. And it also makes me question whether they even actually enjoy games, whether they care about the medium, (laughs) whether they even play them. Like those are the comments of somebody that knows nothing about games. Well,
2: well, you know, the whole thing is nonsense, really, when you think about it, right? Because, you know, not only is it a last-gen system at this point, it's a last-gen system built on 2015. Yeah. Uh, vintage mobile components. The
1: Switch is so, less powerful than Xbox One.
2: <laughs> yeah. By yeah. a lot. So, By you like. know, it kind of speaks to the magic of the game that it actually is that successful. And remember, um, the Breath of the Wild massively outsold horizon zero dawn which was uh, oh, yeah. which was a graphically far superior game right exactly it's it's, it's all about uh, it is all about the game and it's all about you know the confines with which it's you know posted
0: and so. i
1: think that context is also important when when discussions arise around it like elden ring for instance that was my game of the year last year but given the platforms it was running on i'm not afraid to say it was a technical mess It ran badly. It does not run well, and there's serious problems with it, but the game itself is so well made that you can still get over it. And the only reason you complain about it is because you would like a better experience. But the fact that that is still not great from a technical perspective doesn't erase the quality of the game design, right? If you're only judging based on pure numbers, then... You really have to wonder what you're even doing at that point. Like, are you actually playing the games? And that's why I've been focusing so much in my videos and reviews on this stuff to try to not just drill down those numbers because they just aren't that important, I think. Like, they're interesting, but the quality of the game is not defined by its resolution or the frame rate. Now, everybody, you know, they have their own different opinions on the minimum playable frame rate, right? Especially if you're a pc gamer like anything like 60 is considered low in the pc space now right like you're like oh 60 it's i can't nuts. deal with it although i would argue that if you see 60 running on a crt you know still it looks a lot you can it looks good it, there, it okay. looks freaking great uh but yeah
2: <laughs> wow that, was a, that was a long rant there uh john
1: no but it's I just I, enjoy it it's you know it's it's i i enjoy seeing that stuff and it just constantly raises questions for me And i'm just like what what are people really talking about here i think there's this general perception that you know that they think that everyone is being unfair to something that they love but they're not willing to actually look at the reasons for for these uh these judgments and such and you know mm-hmm. even with zelda like I think like I said, I think it's a phenomenal game, but I actually side with the Eurogamer review, which was like four out of five stars, where uh I don't think it's the best game ever made. Uh I was I actually think Elden Ring is still better than this, even though this is doing some amazing stuff as well. But I don't think you need to min max this stuff either, right? Something can be yeah. great, super well made, very entertaining, but it doesn't not every new game needs to become your new favorite game, right? <laughs> yeah.
2: Fair enough. Wow, I don't really know what to make of all of that. I should guess I should have a good go, <laughs> go on the game itself, but uh, I think we should probably at this point move on to the next news topic. Indeed. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this was a really interesting story that cropped up in Bloomberg this week, which is that Sharp, in its uh, the, the display manufacturer, in its earnings calls, was uh, revealing that it's secured a big co- contract for a new console, and uh, the concept of a console that requires a screen essentially made people think that hey they've got a contract with uh, Nintendo for the Switch 2, which kind of makes sense because looking at this report here from uh, Video Games Chronicle, they talk about all manner of different uh, historical associations between Sharp and Nintendo. And uh, not only that, as soon as it was announced by Bloomberg, the uh, reference in the uh, Sharp documentation mysteriously disappeared. Um, I guess we should be talking about Switch 2 then, because I can't conceivably think... I mean, Occam's Razor suggests that it is the Switch to which is an oblique possible...
1: No, there's
0: another There's another possibility I think John's thinking Indeed.
1: about. Indeed. Uh, yeah. I have no idea if this is accurate or not, but you remember there's rumors recently about that Sony Q-Lite device? Yeah, that's what right. I was thinking about. Yeah, yeah. that's, yeah. Who that's <laughs> potentially... <laughs> who can say, but it should be noted that Sharp also had a relationship with Sony during the PSP era. They produced the screens for that system, so... I mean, they produce screens for a lot of things as well, but, you know, it could be something else, maybe.
2: Interesting. Well, there'll be a new, presumably, a new console with a screen (laughs) coming along. Sharp with
1: with a screen.
2: (laughs) With a screen Uh, from Sharp. Uh, Well,
1: let me ask you guys this, though. Uh, One of the things in that story that stood out to me is the fact that it specifies LCD, which, uh, that's a huge bummer, right? if they if over if, the old switch yeah. if a new switch and they went back to lcd like come on come on now <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah i mean that that technical degradation would be so weird to see over time like the it's not how much is the switch oled that much more expensive like no so like i don't know it would be weird i would think too yeah
2: well i don't know what to say about all of this except um Interesting. I, I guess <laughs> we could we could speculate a little bit about Switch Two. I mean, it's kind of been rumored at this point, or kind of mathematically calculated that it cannot launch before April twenty twenty four, owing to the fact that it's a uh, believed Nintendo's financial year. They've said mm-hmm. no new hardware in the financial year. I also believe that anywhere near April twenty twenty four would be unlikely because we would have been getting much stronger indications from the development community that kits are out and about and kits some some kits were out and about but they're not anymore
1: that's right kind of
2: strange (laughs) which is all all a bit weird um i guess it would kind of make sense at this point simply to move it to holiday 24 and um and that's kind of makes sense right
0: yeah yeah yeah. Yeah. That, that was, That's still what been I would
2: still four, do. four yeah. years, though, after the arrival of um, uh, Series X and PS Five.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah that- it's uh, yeah. Nintendo does its own thing, though. They're out of pace with the Absolutely, rest of the industry yeah. anyway at this point in time. And they obviously have a completely different audience or an overlapping audience that doesn't have the same concerns as those who just play on a PlayStation five. I
1: feel, I feel like they, they make a good secondary platform, even for those like into PC gaming and the like, you know, having a switch on the go is a nice thing, I think.
2: Well, as things will turn out, they'll be uh, the number one of the last generation based on sales. Right? They would have outsold oh, yeah. PS4. Absolutely. yeah.
1: Absolutely. A remarkable achievement. The problem here, I think, and perhaps this explains why they've been late with their next with the successor, is the fact that Nintendo has always faltered when it comes to generational transitions. Right? Every time they have a breakout success like this, the next generation that follows never comes close to living up to what they achieved. Uh, They stumbled. So NES to super NES, I would say that's the closest they ever came to capitalizing on the success of the prior, but N64, that was basically a failure. I would argue it sold worse than Sega Saturn in Japan as well. Um, Mm -hmm. There's GameCube, fantastic system, beautifully engineered, not a big success. Then the Wii, huge, huge, gigantic stratospheric absolutely. success, right? Even though C Wizzy was not into it, it was still a success. Mm-hmm. But then the Wii U, it just, you know, we know the story of the Wii U. It did not do well. It was a failure, I think it's fair to say. Uh, mm. And then Switch. So can they capitalize on the success of Switch? I think one of the things they need to get right, no matter what, and if they drop the ball here, it's, it is is absolutely I feel going to hurt their, their chances of success is they need backwards compatibility. It seems like it should be yeah. a foregone conclusion, but you know, that's not necessarily the case and if well, they,
2: it's not certainly.
1: Right? And, I mean,
2: if you look at what how AMD work on the consoles, they basically bake in backwards compatibility into the design of RDNA2, RDNA3 yep. in order to service the consoles, right? Um because it's a massive part of their business. Nvidia has got no uh Need to do the same in the PC space, so unless they've come up with a backwards compatibility solution for you know the, the mooted Ampere uh, chip that they've developed for Switch 2, then it's going to be tricky, right, to actually uh, produce that level of backwards compatibility with like I think it was Maxwell architecture in the Switch. So mm-hmm. it is going to be a massive challenge for them and. Who knows whether it will actually be in there. Well, there was a great video from MVG that explained the challenge here. Yeah. But, mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. It's going to be very, very challenging to, uh, to, to, to implement full backwards compatibility. I, can't, oh, you know, it's tricky. It could be done because, uh, the software engineering talent within NVIDIA is like,
1: Sky High. Statistically good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They just need to give it the attention it deserves. I mean, the yeah. Switch was so successful that just cutting everyone off from their libraries like that, uh, that's not acceptable any longer, I would say. Like, people will not stand for that. No. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
2: I'll tell you something that's, that sort of stands, you know, speaks to mind is, um do you remember on the... Uh, shield console there was actually that gamecube emulator
1: oh yeah i remember that
2: and we never saw sight or sound of that on the switch did we
1: um i mean from what i understand i mean uh skyward sword and the super mario 3d collection with uh super mario sunshine they did use some sort of emulation layer to achieve what they did, right? Like, Mm -hmm. it's not just a straight emulator, but emulation was in the mix. Right,
2: interesting. Yeah, I mean, well, yeah, that's a a whole different sort of topic, really, but Switch 2 is gonna be (laughs) a massive challenge, I think. And uh, there have been stories from Nintendo execs kind of worried about this transition, precisely because, as you point out, John, they've kind of followed up hit with a miss. And they I can't guess really exactly. To do that this time.
1: I guess the difference here, though, is that their leadership team is completely different versus what we've seen over the past couple decades. Right? Uh, it feels like under Iwata, he was very interested in finding new and, and unique ways to push hardware, and like basically shift in a different direction than the rest of the industry, right? And mm-hmm. it feels like the new leadership is far more conservative in comparison and they're more likely to just basically do more Switch, you know, which yeah. which is uncharacteristic of the older Nintendo, but it seems in line with what they do now. So, at least on the hardware side. not They still, you know, say what you will about the be. software, but on the hardware side, they feel more conservative now, I suspect.
2: I think what amuses me is we've talked about this for maybe five, ten minutes, and uh, all we can really say is that it might have a shot. It might. My- <laughs> <laughs> but it might not. Yeah. And, with, and with that, I think we should move on to the next yeah. topic. <laughs> okay, so, um, yeah, this week it was the launch event for the ASUS ROG Ally. It's uh, ASUS's debut in a handheld PC space and um, it's a remarkable device. Uh, spec-wise, way ahead of the Steam Deck. It's got a 1080p, uh, 120Hz VRR screen. Uh, it's got an amazing acoustic assembly. And you might be wondering where the digital foundry coverage was for it and um <laughs> that's a big story uh yeah so the story starts a couple of weeks ago where um i was aware, aware that i was heading out to where i am now out of the uk for a couple of weeks to, dealing with family matters and so uh, i rushed to asus hq to pick up the uh, device took it home benchmarked it and uh, you know spent a couple of days playing some games on it as i like to do and uh, then i wrote up the review filmed it and then i bought. a uh, a laptop here to finish the edit, write the review, and, uh, and then I think the embargo was the 11th, 3 p.m. and we'd have our review up. So why is there no review? And uh, the reason why, I'm gonna show it with this uh, bit of footage here that I sent to ASUS. Um, this is Forza Horizon 5 benchmark running. Uh, this is 720P TAA and um yeah basically the benchmark run completes and it is running at 44 frames per second however that is with the mains plugged in and you take out the mains run the same benchmark and it's 50 frames per second and um, yeah, that was actually in a hot room since then i've re-benched in more cooler climates, and uh, it was actually 52 frames per second so I couldn't really run the review, right? Because all of my performance mode benchmarks, it is only one mode that seems to be affected here, the performance 15 watt mode, but it's the most crucial mode because it's the one that actually offers decent battery life. And um, yeah, uh, why is this important? So here's the Forza Horizon benchmark uh, with the new numbers inserted. And it looks pretty healthy when you're looking at the benchmarks here. Yeah, so basically on the 15 watt versus 15 watt shootout versus the Steam Deck here, um, well, the ally is 30% faster with this new mm-hmm. benchmark. If I had stayed with my older data, it would only have been 10% faster. This is a much more capable chip, four nanometer process, it's 10% is kind of underwhelming. You wouldn't mm-hmm. really notice the difference in gameplay. However, 30%, yeah, you know, it's the difference between forty frames per second and fifty-two frames per second. Which so, is a huge difference in fluidity. Yeah. So basically I mean, the yeah. the review is finished, but the numbers on the the all important performance mode were taken with the uh mains plugged in because you know it chews through battery and you had a lot of games to go through. And there are two different performance profiles in the performance mode. And it just <laughs> does not make sense. So that's the reason why there's no review this week. Um and so, yeah, I have to go back and re-bench, uh, preferably when I'm back at home. I, and, I wonder uh, yeah, if this is
1: a function area. of the charging system. if like when they're... I don't think so, John. No?
2: No, because there's also a plugged-in turbo mode. So oh. turbo mode on the device, if you are not plugged in, it runs at 25 watts. And... Um, yeah, it chews through the battery. Just the SOC is is going through 25 watts, and uh, the actual total system for is uh, like 44, which means less, the, less than an hour of battery life. However, plug it in, turbo mode ra- ratches it up to 30 watts. Mm. And although there isn't really that much of an increase in performance, it shows that when you are plugged in, you should be getting more performance, if anything, not less. Yeah,
1: exactly. Uh,
0: <laughs> so yeah, this just did not uh, make sense. Okay, I, I but uh, oh God, I'm sorry, Red. Um,
2: <laughs> but the the device itself is really really nice. The, you know, as I said, the screen 1080p VRR VRR window seems to be between 40 and 120 FPS, and uh, it's it's really good to have that, right? Uh, but make sure you have a frame rate limit. Maybe it's set to 50 or even 40, uh, because you really want to eke out as much battery life from this thing as possible. Uh, the acoustics are incredible. The deck is quite loud, right? But this is, in 15-watt mode, it's closer to a switch than a Steam Deck, which is... That's wild. Quite a remar- that is a remarkable achievement. Even in the 25-watt turbo mode unplugged, it's still pretty quiet. Mm. And, um yeah, really interesting stuff. But um I can't really tell you about the performance differentials versus the Steam Deck, except to say... Based on my initial retests, it's looking quite promising, but there does seem to be some work to be done on the BIOS because you know you shouldn't be losing performance by running from the mains—that's kind of nuts. And maybe it has been fixed. Maybe my unit just wasn't been—you know—wasn't updated or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's a, a really nice device, and um, I should hopefully have the full review done soon because. Funny thing is, of course, most of the review is absolutely fine. <laughs> it's just the performance mode metrics at 15 watts that are sort of off beam. But basically, Windows is still a problem. Yeah. I was life ask is, about that. Yeah. It, you have the armory crate, which is, um, uh, a front end that Asus has added that lets you, you know, set up your various game stores, access all of your games, uh, change all of the, uh, power profiles, um, and uh, you know, get system specifications, lots of things that can be done in that. There's also the command center that you can bring up at any point by pressing a button on the front of the unit. And then you can do things like um, uh, change the power mode, for example, you can go from uh, you know performance to turbo or whatever. Uh, you can bring on really interesting uh, statistics on screen, real-time power consumption, frame rate, clock speeds, that kind of thing. Uh, lots going on with this device. does have a frame rate limiter, which on my device just didn't do anything. I had to use Viva Tuner or in-game settings to, to set a frame rate limit. So mm-hmm. it does strike me that the hardware is kind of there. The software still needs some work, perhaps some BIOS optimizations to be made. Um, but, you know, it is a viable competitor to the Steam Deck, and it runs on Windows for good or for ill.
1: Is it, uh, um, I not knowing how everything about the driver situation or anything is is it not possible to install like steam os on this thing and get a steam deck like experience
2: well you could certainly install linux on it and there are sort of uh offshoots of steam os that share a lot with steam os right alex i think that's the case
0: yeah, that is the case, but you, would, you wouldn't you would have any of the, uh, this, you wouldn't have like the OSD right, and oh, all the things that Steam Deck right, right, has right. on the right-hand side. All that which custom is,
1: stuff, right, that makes it work.
0: Yeah, and also, you know, the thing that makes the Steam Deck so great is just the boot sequence yeah. uh, and the sleep mode. That I don't think those things are shared because that is all right, stuff right, written right, by Valve right. specifically
1: for the Steam Deck hardware. That. Yeah. yeah, I'm I'm a little. I know they want to sell that Steam Deck hardware, but I feel like they should be working with these manufacturers to get them on board with that because then it yeah. also pushes Linux and Steam. Right. Yeah.
0: Hundred percent. Hundred percent. I'm totally for that, and I, I would uh I, you know especially because these things like I actually like the th- all the things that Rich has said about the rog ally um wait
1: can, can i get your best rog rich you know rog <laughs>
2: that was an angry rog
1: <laughs> that was a, that was an angry rog
2: um yeah
1: rog like ally like if you're playing god of war on here i feel like you need to like you know say it right i played a uh, lot of
2: god, god of war there actually <laughs> uh, something that is really interesting is that this is the first pc handheld you have to run it at maximum warp um, <laughs> actually, no. Wrong. The the, 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 uh, the 25-watt turbo mode, God of War's 1080p original settings is faster than the PS4. Wow. Uh, which is kind of nuts for a handheld device yeah. with quite limited bandwidth overall. But, you know, it is coming out like 10 years after the PS4, so you would kind of <laughs> hope that that would be the case by now.
0: Yeah, well, it's, it, it's interesting. I, I, I'm almost wondering if someone could take this SOC further with better, with better, better memory situation, actually.
2: Yeah, more memory bandwidth. Be- memory bandwidth and power have always been the major considerations <laughs> of the APUs, right? And mm-hmm. um, that said, on the power side of things, the turbo, the full turbo, the 30 watt turbo plugged in doesn't seem to offer appreciable gains. It varies on a title by title basis over the 25 watt turbo. So 25 watt does seem to be the sweet spot. Um, but with these revised results from the 15 watts, we do seem to be getting more performance, you know, at lower power draws, which is what I'd expect from a four nanometer part. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's a really interesting device. I really wish I could have had the review out. Um, it did save us one issue, which is that we, you know, it would have gone out on the same day as the uh, Zelda review.
1: Ah, oh, right.
2: Um, yeah, which, which from a YouTube algorithm. Uh, <laughs> content pacing perspective isn't great i know so that's kind you, of
1: i know i hate that kind of stuff because i mean fundamentally there's just still two very different audiences right
2: you'd think so yeah but yeah but you know that's where we're at with the rog ally and um i really like the device i i think well you know if at 15 watts it has it has approximately the same battery life as steam deck right but you are getting more performance you are having this uh, much better quality IPS VRR screen. Yeah, uh, it is quieter. Um, but you know, Windows—it's Windows. It's Windows. What can I say it's Windows? And even with the launcher on there, there's there were so many scenarios where I I was just happy I had a USB-C hub connected with a keyboard and mouse because it just mm-hmm. seemed to get things done a you lot just, quicker. Man. It's like fiddling about.
1: That's yeah. That's the big thing, right? Like. If you have to plug in a keyboard and a mouse, it kind of feels like it's failed a little bit. Uh, It's
2: not really a handheld anymore. Yet it's all down to Windows, and maybe there's something Microsoft can do about that. Because at the uh, launch event, they were talking about how this is great for um, Game Pass and stuff like that. Because well, it actually works because it's Windows. I mean,
1: they have talked about (laughs) wanting to improve the portable experience and but that, I mean, that's what they do a lot, right? So, yeah, we want to improve this, but then whether it happens or not, we have to wait and see, but...
0: Yeah, how about that Windows Store?
1: It, it right? feels, that like you said, store? it feels like something that would benefit them greatly if they can say, hey, you can easily play Game Pass stuff on one of these devices. Like, that is huge for them, right? Like, it would be a perfect device for that.
2: Yeah, I mean, you just installed the Game Pass client, right? Which, you know, everybody, well, certainly everybody here hates with a vengeance.
1: Right. But if they could find a better way to deliver that stuff for dedicated Mm. handhelds, that would be optimal.
2: Yeah. Uh, But that's all I've really got to say about the Rogue Ally at the moment. I think it's a really interesting device. Looks great. And uh, yeah, the the Z1 Extreme Silicon, you're not getting 50% more performance at the same 15 watts as Steam Deck. That's kind of, I guess, theoretical maximum. And I suspect the same is true for, you know, 30 watts turbo being twice as fast as Steam Deck. It's... I think more like 50 to 70% based on, t- on various titles. It's quite difficult to do like for like tests with Steam Deck because they're, they're using very different drivers. Right, indeed. right. It's often the case that the, uh, the, the Radeon driver for Steam OS is more efficient than the AMD one on Windows, which kind of offsets the performance improvements.
1: Yeah. So, yeah.
2: Yeah. I hope people... Hopefully the review will be out soon.
1: I hope people look at this kind of situation, though, and and really understand the state of these mobile PCs and, like, this type of mobile hardware, right? Like, these are expensive devices where these companies could pour whatever they want into making them, and we're still only just getting to PS4-level performance, right? So anyone expecting, like, miracles from a new Switch, I feel like they're going to be disappointed. Like, it it doesn't seem (laughs) feasible to get, like... Anywhere near, like even like Xbox Series S power in a portable device, yeah, right? Like, I think we're not there absolutely.
2: yet. Absolutely. Th- people need to be very, very sort of um, wary about these claims being made for the, the next generation Switch because battery life will be a priority yep. for Nintendo. Pa- mm-hmm. Power constraints will be much, much more onerous than they are with this thing. I mean, you know, again, with the Asus Vogue Ally. In its fifteen watt performance mode, I've seen it draw up to twenty eight watts, which is kind of like what Steam Deck does, but it's fully pushed. The turbo twenty five watt mode, holy crap, it's I've uh, there's a certain section in a Plague Tale Requiem where it was drawing forty eight watts.
1: So Jesus. Uh, that's what's so <laughs> Which that, is, you know So I wanna know, Rich, did you test like how fast can you drain that battery?
2: Um yeah. Um On the God of War benchmark 720p original settings, there's a section in the review where I I just took an existing capture from my benchmark. And the benchmark is like six minutes long. And for five minutes of that benchmark, I chewed through 10% of the battery, which meant that you've got a battery life of 50 minutes. But if you but like- Yeah, you know, this is the turbo cap. mode. But what right? if you
1: max out resolution, you uncap the frame rate, you crank up settings all the way, you like push it super hard. Like it feels like you could get down to like, I mean, under 30 minutes, 30. right?
2: Yeah, I don't think it would go that far, um, but you know, all I'll say is Plague Tale, 48 watts, 40 watt hour battery, you know, do, do the math. Yeah, that's true. will do, do the math, as you Americans say.
1: But yeah, Nintendo is not going to release a system that allows users to do no. that, right?
2: <laughs> but on the plus side, what you will have, a gameplay experience is tailored for that hardware. True, true, right? true. Which true. is, of course. W- which I think offsets that to a
1: indeed. fantastic indeed. degree. Indeed,
2: indeed. Yeah. Um, but that's all I've really got to say about uh, the Ally at the moment. Very impressive device. It's out in June. Review hopefully very soon, depending on uh, if I can... Come across any more curious uh, situations here. I will leave you with one more benchmark since I've rendered it out. Uh, Control, low settings, 720p, 15 watt uh, Ally versus 15 watt deck, 21% faster on the Ally, 25 watts, 54% faster than the Ally, uh, sorry, than the Steam Deck. And, uh, 30 watts, 55% faster. So this is an interesting example of where, you know, you've really pushed the power envelope as far as you can push it, but you're getting like an extra percentage point ahead of the Steam Deck. It's, you can't tell the difference, but in some games you can. But yeah, uh, Rog Ally review coming soon. Uh, but that was a nice preview, I think. And I think we'll move on to the next news topic now. I'm going to start this with a question or rather a comment or a statement from Concrete Llama, one of our supporters. I see there's a 60 FPS patch for a Plague Tale Requiem on consoles. <sighs> That's it. No question. Uh, and he's no question. There is.
1: Indeed. There is. Various. <laughs> uh, who, uh,
2: <laughs> who wants to talk about this one,
0: Alex? Yeah, I can talk about this because uh, back in. Gosh, when was this? November? This must have been November, right? Was it December? I don't recall. I, I covered this game on PC as well as um, looked at the improvements from a patch on the Xbox Series X and PlayStation 5 version of that game from coverage that uh, Tom did originally covering those versions. And here, back then, it was controversial because Plague Tale was one of a number of games at that time launching at 30 FPS, and the question was, and we posted it in an article written uh, by Rich there about is this the return of 30 FPS? Is it inevitable? Too big for PS5. too big for PS5, that's <laughs> for certain. Uh, and, and the idea is, of course, yes, 30 FPS is inevitable because developers will want to take advantage of the new hardware in a way that necessitates you know, a certain frame time per frame uh, to get a playable experience. So that's like the, the obvious bit. But the question back then was, is it justified? Gotham Knights, we collectively came to the idea that no, it was not justified mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. the game was kind of a mm-hmm. mess. Um, but uh, for Plague Tale, it seemed much more reasonable. Based upon everything we saw on PC in terms of CPU utilization, GPU, how it was scaling, all these things. That, it all seemed really reasonable, and that's what my coverage was kind of about. Now they bring out a 60 FPS patch, and the question is, are they magicians? Are they magicians? Or is the PlayStation 5 and Xbox series X that much more powerful? And this interesting story that I think Tom will be covering specifically. but if we do look at the PC version which also got an update, there are some already some clues in there about how they might have achieved 60 FPS on consoles when I said in that back you know in that review like oh, they could reduce the resolution. And you could probably get 60 FPS uh, to like 1080p, for example, but the CPU could still be the the limiting factor. Well, that PC update has a number of settings to control the um, the I think the update rate of crowds, the uh, the update rate of rats, as well as the amount of rats that can show up on screen at any one given moment. And you know, there's a normal and a low setting for each of those. And you know, I think Tom's had some you know minor. Some minor uh, interaction already with this patch, and he's already found out that at least the update rate of the rats is different in the 60 FPS mode. So they're probably, yeah, so they're running at like half rate, uh, essentially, which is a typical way to save CPU cycles. And it's used for tons of games, all, you know, all over the place. Um, so I think it's really interesting because it shows, you know, just like how. optimization strategies aren't just always we get things running faster via unseen magic sometimes it actually does require uh corners to be cut so that's uh that's kind of cool actually
2: well it's an interesting question that tom came up with on the slack channel yesterday because he saw you know the volume of rats running at the half rate refresh is it really 60 frames per second if a major component on screen is running at 30. that's an interesting question right because um well, it is running at sixty because it's refreshing yes, re rendering every sixty frames, but the movement of the rats is thirty and it can dominate the the view, right? So there could be a, I mean, not that I wish to spoil Tom's coverage, but it it could look a bit disconcerting, right?
0: Yeah, I mean I've always been uh not a fan of half refresh rate anything <laughs> in terms of animations in a game. Uh, it's like, it's always bothers me. Like today, I can't play the second, you know, um, uh, Dark Forces game really due to the camera mismatching issues oh. that always really bothered me. Uh, and, you know, like I, so many games when this issue comes up, I, it just really, really bothers me. Uh, but for, you know, for power constrained devices, to get at least c- responsive controls, I think it is a reasonable thing, as long as there's an option for the person to change that. And in the case of a Plague tail, you do have options. You have a 30 FPS mode, you have a 40 FPS mode, as well as a 60 FPS mode. So there, I think it's a really reasonable thing for them to to add in. Sure. Yeah,
2: I'm glad it's gone in. Uh, simply for the developer's sanity, because
0: <laughs> oh yeah,
2: <laughs> what I was finding online, whenever the official uh, account from the sobo stu- Studios or Plague Tale uh, gave any news at all about the game being updated, I think it received um, Steam Deck verification, for example. Uh, all of the replies were just 60 FPS on console when. <laughs> and, <laughs> no. uh, yeah and uh, yeah it Jesus. actually happened which i think is i think it's fantastic that they've actually responded to the uh, uh to, to the to the user base in that regard but you know i think people need to be aware that there are going to be plenty of scenarios going forward where you're not going to get 30 uh, 60 frames per second and forty may well be your lot i think it's a bit disappointing actually that you know the people still don't quite get what 40 fps means and how good it is yeah yeah
1: exactly yeah that's a that's a weird one i actually think this game is looks fine at 30 or 40 to be honest like and it's not one of those games it's not a fast-paced action game by any stretch of the imagination and i say that having played it on my pc with frame gen on so which effectively (laughs) you know 120 fps uh but still like it it looks good even at lower frame rates i think please don't crucify Absolutely. me <laughs> <laughs> no
0: we're going to so we, crucify you
1: <laughs> so we are
2: going to take a look at that plague tail patch and we will run some uh, content on it hopefully next week i to see yeah. what happens there um but in the meantime let's move on to our final news topic so not really uh wide ranging global gaming news here but uh john's gone out and bought another CRT take it away john <laughs>
1: i didn't mention yes the the addiction continues uh this i've been thinking gee i'm surrounded by all these professional monitors from sony and they look great but what if i had a consumer television as well just to get a different flavor because they all use different types of tubes uh pro monitors tend to use very high tv line counts so they're basically very high resolution monitors right but you know an older low TV line count monitor can still look pretty awesome on these games. And I wanted to experience that with a larger picture size. So I went and picked up a Bang & Olufsen BioVision 1 set. And it's a really, it is a consumer set, but it, it was very expensive at the time of release, but it's a, it's a surprisingly nice looking display. Even now, I would say. So first of all, it's mounted on this, Uh, It's an aluminum base with a motor installed. So when you fire up this thing, it actually rotates to the position that you set uh, based on your preferred position. So I have it like right here. And when I sit down in the chair and power it up, the whole thing just goes, rotates to face the chair, basically, which is superfluous in some ways. But also I giggle every time it happens. It's fantastic. (laughs) Uh, But then. It's a, it's a consumer set with dual RGB SCART inputs. It has uh, a Philips, an LG Philips tube in it. It's obviously a lower line count than those, but I was really impressed with the video quality on this thing. And not only that, uh, these these models can vary quite a bit, these Bang & Olufsen sets in terms of like the software installed and how you access things like the service menu. And this one, thankfully, is very, very easy. You just press menu, 00. zero go and you're just in there and you can adjust stuff and it's very nice the only thing that I noticed initially that that I didn't like was that it has scan velocity modulation enabled and anybody that's been around CRTs that was where the the speed of the beam was adjusted based on the content to sort of provide this extra false sharpening effect but it turns out on a lot of these sets you can disable it by opening up the chassis and simply unplugging a single cable from the neck board, which I did. And I also cleaned it out in there. So Mm -hmm. the thing about this, though, is that you can get these types of monitors for like next to nothing. Right. Like there is definitely a sense that if you want to get like a pro PVM, BVM kind of monitor, you're going to be shelling out now. The prices have gone through the roof. But honestly, the experience on this thing is, is really great. I calibrated it next to my BVM and it looks surprisingly close in many ways. And I'm perfectly happy with it so i feel like when i'm talking about crts you don't have to go out and get an fw900 or one of these pro monitors like look in the consumer space find some really nice sets there and i think you'll be happy and surprised with it it's fantastic for retro gaming and uh, with just a few adjustments you can kind of overcome any of those flaws right so it's a it's a cool option that's worth checking out i would say the
2: only yeah the the only sorry john you say that yeah Sorry, the one thing you, I will say about uh, this thing is uh, just generally when I look on Facebook Marketplace, a lot of people are selling battered old CRTs oh. and labeling them retro gaming screens. I know. Uh, which, you know, and then sort of charging 100 pounds upwards for, what you know, is effectively obsolete junk. Le-
1: yeah, let, me, really. let me give everyone a tip then. If you're actually like, okay, John, I want to try a CRT for retro gaming. That sounds fun. What you should do is go to a site like eBay, Kleinenzeigen in Germany, or Craigslist in the US, or any of those sites, and you want to search by, like, old television or TV. You just put in, like, TV, and you sort by, like, lowest price, right? The people that are selling these things, like this B&O here, it's just an older couple that this was their TV, and they've upgraded to a flat panel. And they just wanted to get rid of this. They didn't put retro CRT or like they didn't write CRT like nobody that that, you know, if you see the word CRT, it's probably going to be overpriced. But if you just look like old TV, the chances are good (laughs) that you'll actually find something like this for next to nothing, sometimes even free. They just want it out of their house. And that's the kind of stuff you need to look for interesting but uh the the weight issue is definitely something to consider though yes so this this Mm -hmm. crts are heavy right but this one this b and o my goodness i i read that the tv itself the tube part was 38 kilos and i was like all right it's fine no problem whatever it's it's heavy enough but i can handle that that's that's so heavy. turns (laughs) out though that mechanical (laughs) aluminum stand weighs 37 kilos and they're connected in a way that you can't easily decouple them so we're basically moving like a 75 kilo TV around. And that thing is freaking heavy, man. I moved it upstairs by myself and, uh, I had to kind of go step by step. Like I can lift it, but it's the kind of thing where you're like, man, I really don't want to hurt my back. You know what I mean? <laughs> Cause it's, there mm-hmm. is that risk when you get to that weight. Uh, so yeah, these, uh, some of these CRTs, when you go to pick them up, especially if it's a larger one, consider the weight before you go because yeah it can be a real burden
2: uh well congratulations on your purchase (laughs) hey you know
1: i love it this the chassis is so slim it's actually shocking the way they like strategically place the tube and the casing around it it's like half the depth of the bvm that's next to it and the the picture tube is larger so it's cool sorry i just love talking crts what can i say no it's great
2: (laughs) okay uh, let's move on to supporter Q&A this is the part of the show where we discuss uh, well we answer a big bunch of questions put forward by supporters we choose the ones that we're essentially most capable of answering and um this one from 1040 STF hi there my question is really simple do you remember the PSVR2 yeah me neither yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well seriously what do you think that piece of hard where do you think that piece of hardware is going only 4 months after its release there's just no new games announced and the low sales rumors are more than concerning could it be PlayStation's biggest hardware flop ever? Only PC players seem to smile right now as its hack seems very close. Yay, uh, John.
1: Man, what a bummer, right? Like, yeah, this was a concern I raised in the review as well, but like the hardware itself is phenomenal, but the the software selection is just kind of uh, dire right now. Sony's not doing a good job at building excitement for it. Uh, And I understand this is an expensive device, right? This is not the mass market that they're trying to reach with PS5. But, you know, people are shelling out a lot of money for this stuff. And I really hope that it gets better support. Like, there is... There's over 200 games, I think, announced for it. Plus, those already released, so there is software on the way. Uh, Like, we're already getting up into, like, N64 library levels here. (laughs) But uh, (laughs) still... It, it really feels like they need some serious killer apps. Horizon was not it. Uh, obviously, we've been banging the Half-Life Alex, Boneworks, Bone Lab drum for a while. Like, just those three games right there would be an amazing thing to play on the PSVR2 hardware. But it hasn't happened yet. Like, I, I, I just don't know what they do. Like, most... They've, they've whittled down their studios to focus so heavily on these cinematic, uh, like, sad dad games, I would say that there's not as much room necessarily for <laughs> VR development it feels that not necessarily but uh my yeah. my great white hope right now and this isn't going to save anything right but i want to see what uh team asobi is up to the uh astrobot guys cuz astrobot's res- rescue mission is a top 5 of all time VR game i would say like on every VR headset that ever existed that is mm-hmm. it's that good it's so good that it's like almost worth having a headset just to play it uh if they can pull off something that good again then that is a huge deal but uh i mean i guess we just kind of have to wait for this sony showcase thing that hap that will likely happen in june or may or whenever whenever mm-hmm. that happens but who knows i don't know what do yeah. you guys, what do you guys yeah. think about the situation um, they like should have launched with, more games yeah, <laughs>
0: yeah i also think they should have launched with official pc support i mean i have no idea like so know, alex whatever. i actually well, think
1: the pc support is a little bit trickier than i initially let on and i think it could be solved with an adapter but just you usbc transferring video and and data and all that stuff how do you do that on most pcs most systems do not actually support like video out over usbc outside of you know, underpowered laptops and a certain generation of NVIDIA cards had it, but they got rid of that uh, after a certain point. I think, ter- did Turing cards have USB C? That was the one that did, yep. and I think it's gone
0: from Empire and, yeah. Uh, yep. from ADA. So like if unless it's some, some sort of other card,
1: there could be look, other. I think
2: some of the new, uh, AMD cards have got USB sockets on them, USB-C.
1: So, mm-hmm. but I think uh, to make it work, they would have to sell an adapter that essentially like plugs into like say display port and then USB, and then that has a USB-C end on it that you then plug the headset into. Um, and I right. think those types of adapters are going to have to be made for pc users to use this headset anyway and i think they already exist in some form uh but still like it's not i don't think it's just a simple plug and play thing on most systems but we'll see well i mean
0: uh, i i don't think i was that's what i was expecting no like no that. not, just not saying, you like, the, these things are just
1: really minor hurdles right, right, right. to the I, so- software i'm not question. saying that I'm just, yeah. i think the general yeah. audience is thinking well i have a USB-C port on my wow. pc why doesn't it work right but it is more oh, complex yeah, than yeah. that
2: Okay. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Mm -hmm. I don't really know what to say about that. I just think that the uh, headset is probably being sold very close to cost. They probably don't make profit on it. And so the game sales would be offsetting that. But, you know, if there's no sales at all, or very low sales rather, then that's, that's going to be problematic across the board, isn't it? It is a bit depressing because we've had nothing fantastic to say about PlayStation VR 2, even though there were some fantastic games in the launch period. Simply because nothing really has turned up, it's a bit disappointing. Uh, let's move on to the next question. This one from Hatfick. Uh, hey, DF, do you guys have any plans on doing a video where you go back to some of the PC ports that launched in a troubled state but had significant patches since, like Callisto Protocol for Spoken, Pokemon rather, uh, T Loop One, etc and see how they run now versus at launch? This question was posed by so many different people, not just Patrick. So, Alex, I mean, um, there's an old saying, you don't get clean by wallowing in the mud. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) um, uh, But it does look as though a lot of these games are now in a better state than they were when they launched. And, you know, the recent patches of T-Loop 1 do seem to be showing clear progress. What do you think about this idea Uh, of... uh,
0: so I think um, it would maybe take like a tiny bit longer than a week to make uh, because it's like it's like five or six titles uh, that I would want to go back to if it was a collection video. For example, maybe there could be two collection videos. I don't know. But it would be Callisto. It would be Dead Space. I would want to showcase advances as well in Returnal because they've had a couple of patches there. I would want to do T-Loop. I would want to show Forspoken being better, potentially, and then, of course, eventually Jedi Survivor, and then there's also going to be Redfall at some point. So, And I'm not even talking about Hogwarts. So you got this many games, and uh, that's a lot of things to cover. So for some of them, depending upon the size of the game, maybe they require their own video, like T-Loop. Uh, because T- T-Loop know, loop 1, if you please. T-Loop Gosh, 1, I, yes, please.
1: I, you guys keep saying that. I hadn't heard that yet. T-Loop adding the P and the 1 on there. That's fantastic. That's yeah. good. <laughs> I like
0: it. Um, and that one, just because I would maybe want to showcase some more than just like, oh, the original performance versus the current performance. Maybe I'd want to go also a little bit more in depth for that one. Maybe, I don't know, maybe not. Also, well there's, uh, there's a
2: lot more to a PC port than its performance, right? Yeah, something which is quite important in your coverage.
0: Yeah, like the settings being useful, uh the settings working, um <laughs> the scalability of the title. Like for T Loop, there were so many issues. T Loop like, oh, one. T Loop one T Loop one, there were so many issues. It was on the CPU, it was on the GPU, it was in the settings, uh it was in the textures. Like that's that's a lot to cover in a collective like video. So for some of these, maybe there'll be a collective video. And then another one would be an offset video. That's just itself. And it's like 10 to 12 minutes explaining the differences between launch, as well as maybe giving you a sense of what the optimized experience should be now. Uh, but ah, the one thing is every single one of these games, uh, well, not every single one, but at least three of them, Redfall, Jedi survivor and T loop one, maybe first spoken. I'm not sure because they have that, um, Expansion pack coming out really soon. uh Those ones are still in their patching cycle, so yeah, uh, I'm going to cover the game, and then a week or two later, they're going to change it again. Uh...
2: Well, not maybe not within a week. I mean, <laughs> we had a, a section on the T-Loop One a couple of weeks ago on the direct Oh yeah, we, yeah had right. to, we had to cut out because literally <sighs> we patch. filmed. They launched another patch. So our data was out of date.
0: Uh, yeah, so this is why covering yeah. these things is a little hard so close to their launch period, unfortunately. So it could it could be in the next couple of weeks this could happen when there's a dry spell of releases, but it could also happen more mid time when the the patches slow down. So okay. let's let's keep our eyes out. Now. Fair
2: enough. <laughs> Let's move on to the next question. This one from Jonas Tagizade, taggan86 in brackets. Uh, mm. Why does DLSS3 slash frame gen produce a much smoother experience in games with lots of stutter slash high CPU load? I'm currently playing Star Wars Jedi Survivor using the frame gen mod, and I'm just amazed at how smooth the game looks compared to frame gen off, especially in scenes where there is lots of frame rate clocks slash frame rate spikes. Is it the lower CPU load due to my FPS hitting the cap that is producing the smoother experience or anything else? Or am I just fooling myself that it looks much better with frame gen on? The reason I put this question in is um, because you had quite a a reasonable experience, John, with Redfall with frame gen, right?
1: Yeah, I did. It was, uh, (laughs) no, (laughs) it it made it it very, my first impression was actually very positive of that port. Uh, Of course, running high end hardware, but you know, it, it still had the traversal stutters, but that was the same as Xbox. But other than that, it was very fluid and smooth, and it looked and felt great. I thought. Uh, but then, when you turn off Frame Gen and start to see what it's doing otherwise, you're like, "Oh." Hmm. But I, I don't. I'm, I'm surprised to hear that entirely because Frame Gen I still find doesn't necessarily mitigate like heavy stuttering or like super inconsistent frame times. So mm-hmm. I'm not really sure what he's seeing there. What do you think? So, maybe
2: maybe it is the case, like as he says, because he's hitting the frame rate cap. Yeah, the actual yeah. the actual frame rate of the native frame rate is lower than it would be running fully unlocked. Therefore, the stuttering has less to drop. If you see what I mean. Right, right. Less, yeah. Less, so like the spikes would be less pronounced.
0: Yeah. The real variation. So let's say Jonas here is at one twenty or one forty four, and the real CPU frame rate is about half and uh the the cpu frame rate is about half so you have less variation then between the highs and the lows which is something we need to talk i think this vrr video that i have in my head is a really good thing to make but there's less variation between the highs and the lows so you don't experientially see it as easily that's why 30 fps caps help at at times or 40 fps caps too same thing it's experiential but also There is the experience, and it doesn't apply to every single game completely, but depending upon how the frames are queued up and being worked on while the current frame is rendering, you could actually have an effect on the CPU related performance by unlocking the frame rate, you could have worse frame times because the CPU is currently overloaded and it's starting production work on the next frame and it has less resources to do it. So there is actually the potential for worse frame times in a fully unlocked experiences than versus a 60 FPS locked one.
2: Yeah, I think, I, may, I think. sorry Alex, I think maybe what's happening here is that he's hitting the frame rate cap, therefore the native uh, frame rate is actually lower Whereas if yeah. he was running something like, you know, Ryzen thirty six hundred, the CPU oh, yeah. would be running fully uh, tapped out. He wouldn't be hitting his refresh rate cap and the stuttering would actually be more pronounced. The the garbage <laughs> yes. in, garbage out scenario I talked about. <laughs> yeah. So uh yeah.
0: I agree with I agree with all that. Um I agree with that 100%. I mean, I'm pretty sure, Jonas, I can't forget. You've, you've posted here before, Tagging, about what your CPU is, and I just forget off the top of my head. <laughs> but, like, um, so, like, I do think having a really high-end CPU and then hitting your refresh rate with DLSS3 is a very satisfying smoothness experience. It could be potentially a good deal smoother than a native 120 going up for the v- V-Sync there. So, yeah, it all makes sense, but it's really CPU-dependent. Yeah, this is
2: really interesting from my perspective as well as we move on to the 4060s that are coming, which will be paired with less capable uh, CPUs. So I'm kind of curious to see whether those mainstream CPUs, 12400F, 13400F, 7600, whether they'll be able to actually (laughs) work pretty well with DLSS3 at that level of hardware
0: this is the funny part is that if it's an unreal engine 4 game maybe it will because it's barely using six threads anyways so um you know <laughs> maybe rich maybe maybe
2: okay uh let's move on to the final question this one from Gatti: hi df crew every time a game with bizarre performance issues appears ranging from a lack of proper multi-threading to intermittent stuffing there's always a conversation about how qa cannot catch every bug how it only affects a percentage of users and how it's uh, just a miracle that some other AAA games have proper ports or performance profile. Find it very disingenuous, especially when it's coming from the developers themselves. Could DF emphasize in future videos that these are not gameplay bugs that need specific conditions to be reproduced, but something that is true for each and every modern PC. I'm tired of publishers gaslighting us that PC parts <laughs> permutations is the issue. Greetings it from is. Georgia, in brackets, not the state. He's got a good point here, is Alex, mm-hmm. right, because... um we're, we're continually seeing, you know, statements that say things like a certain proportion of the audience or a, a small percentage or a certain percentage of the audience. Or just
1: a percentage. Yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah. A, a, a percentage. Tonight. Yeah. Which could be 99.99 or indeed 100, uh, <laughs> having issues with the game. And, um, it, it is gaslighting, isn't it? Because, you know, all processes will be affected by stuff like stutter. Um, shader compilation the versus data. It's just a case of whether you notice it or not.
0: Yeah. So I, yeah, I'm going to just say Oliver complete this. Yeah, it's complete bullshit to, to say that a certain percentage of users are affected by something that can only affect every user. It's, it's the permutations issue exists. I don't want to say that it doesn't. And it does technically affect the, the, the reason why this is occurring permutations of pcs exist so we get the necessity to pre-compile pso's right if there was only one pc like a mac or whatever maybe uh then you wouldn't have this necessity anyway. but that but yeah the one true pc you'd like get it out of a rock i guess or something like that but um in this case it's it's not true and i I actually have if you I don't know what time I started doing this but in a number of videos I started using the phrase and this affects every PC out there and I try and say that um, to head off comments in the in the YouTube comments or in the Twitter comments that are like my PC is fine well that person just doesn't notice it so um, I, I actually do put this wording in my videos but it is not the headline and it is not um, you know, I I don't know how often I can just reiterate the exact same thing to just get it through thick skulls, or I don't know, to the ignorant, or to uh, corporations who are just ignoring the issues. I I'm still very disappointed that Dead Space has not been looked at. It basically got like one or two patches, and then they just left it out, like a, you know, like to die. Oh, it runs fine um, on my PC. Yeah, it runs fine on your PC. <laughs> yeah, sure. But like I, this is where I feel like. Yes. And I feel like it's really bad that it is trumpeted uh, by developers themselves uh, in some areas. I mean, it's not everyone is. There's obviously a lot of people. This is a diverse topic. We can't just um, right. uh, overgeneralize these things about who's saying what. But it is disappointing to see. I did see, it obviously, on Twitter after the fact, like when Jedi Survivor launched and Redfall launched. And it's like this back to back and T loop one. Uh, there's this like back to back just awfulness, stream of awfulness. And then there's the questions coming up. Is it even possible to make a good PC port? And the the answer is 100% yes. And it's not even super ambitious always of an undertaking. Um, So I think it's just like, yeah, there's, I I also really, really dislike this. And uh, I would really like to see both the tech press as well as the corporations themselves not stop using this wording Or stop reporting on it. Like, I I just see constant reports from smaller tech-related websites about like, and this helps these random i and i edits help some users, and it's like they don't help (laughs) any users. (laughs) They don't help any users. Stop it. Um. So like, yeah. Like I don't know. I don't know what to say about this. This is one issue where I wish that there was more foundational knowledge on the subject from a lot of
1: parts. Every time yeah. man a PC port comes out these days, you can expect like maybe 4 to 5 days after you get that that tweet with the logo of the game and a big block of text. <laughs> Say.
0: Yeah. I, <laughs> yeah I, I, I'm just surprised there wasn't the Redfall one. I, I think there wasn't a Redfall one. There was a Jedi Survivor one. There was definitely a Hogwarts one. That was one, because of
1: Phil himself came out and, and basically said it. Phil yeah. was the block attack. He was the block attack. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, no, yeah. the wow. Jedi Survivor, though, did you see that thing, Alex, with that random like sequence breaking error?
0: Yes, that was pretty like, interesting. I've never seen anything
1: like that in a recent game where they actually pop up a direct error in the game ui no less and like you've bypassed certain elements and if you continue you may encounter issues and it's like do you want to load back to a previous save or do you want to keep going and i just i wonder how it ever got to the point where they were like yep we can't fix this let's just put, let's put an in-world uh, yeah. message in there <laughs> the,
0: that that one's interesting. It means like uh, like in um, Zelda that you were talking about that they put in as a movement technology of some sort, movement tech that allows people to sequence break in a way that they thought like we don't have time to fix for launch in some way. It's It'll break the rest of the game. So that is really weird. So,
1: I mean, I feel like at that point they'd, either, they'd almost be better like putting up an invisible wall to prevent that jump from happening or just like crashing the right? game even just like, oh no, it crashed, right? <laughs> you know I, I i don't know it's it's so bizarre
0: yeah the seams of the world coming apart through a ui message is i don't know if that's great design or anything i, I don't know i hard to comment on that one <laughs> wow
2: <laughs> well uh, i think you know, just from my perspective the way forward is well first of all try and avoid mm-hmm. these foundational issues that are cropping up in pc ports because it is essentially similar things that we're seeing each and every time right and they mm. should come, they should come up in QA, of, you know, shader compilation step, for example. Um, you know, it should be mandatory, whether it's done in the background, whether it's done, uh, you know, for the user to wait right at the beginning. Uh, we've got to stop with this concept of, uh, blaming the user's hardware because the whole point <laughs> of the PC is that it's, you know, an infinite combination of components. Yes, there will be some components that are not up to it hardware wise. That's why you've got recommended specs, but you know, Um, it's just kind of interesting that in terms of what the user can do, it comes down to buying essentially the fastest CPU you can buy, the fastest memory you can buy, and then you can mitigate to a certain extent stuttering issues. I mean, this is why, you know, the the X3D chips from AMD seem to work pretty well. uh, I say pretty well, relatively well with Jedi Survivor. But there were still stutters up to like 50, 80 milliseconds, which is just like nuts. So, yeah, uh, um, yeah it's it's not pretty. But, you know, we're going to continue to highlight the issue as it occurs. Um, but hopefully, Alex, we can do it in a way that doesn't break you mentally. <laughs>
0: yeah. Well, I think I did discover like a new way to make a video that doesn't break me mentally, where I just say the game is unoptimizable which is a very real thing and I just say I skip the optimized settings I say it's unoptimizable and I describe the issues and I think that saves my head it saves my head
2: yeah absolutely you can't do optimized settings for a game that's going to have like you know 100 200 millisecond stutters it doesn't really matter how good the graphics look at that point does
0: it no it's 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 such a boring conversation Mm, at that point
2: absolutely uh, but that is the final question and therefore the end of the show so please do like subscribe share if you enjoyed the content ring the bell for those notionally instant notifications say notionally because now my phone doesn't produce any notifications <laughs> at all uh, which is interesting uh, and boy. yeah df supports a program uh, join us join our amazing community get involved with df direct weekly every week uh, uh early access Amazing DF retro opportunities, bonus materials, all pretty awesome. But that's all from us for
0: this week. Thanks for watching.